Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dr. J's Shakespeare. I'm Dr. J. In today's episode, we'll again be looking at a scene from King Lear. In all its tragic pathos and sorrow, King Lear delves deep into our humanity. We are akin with all God's creatures, but also set apart from them. But in what ways are we different? And what happens when we strip away the outward manifestations of those differences? If we reduce our existence to the existence of animals, what results? We sometimes try to fool ourselves that our human differences from the rest of the animal kingdom are just artificial denials of our true animal nature, and that we would be better off to free ourselves of them. It's unlikely that anyone walking out of a performance of King Lear will feel that way. It's remarkable how swiftly things fall apart. Lear, old and ready to give up the responsibilities of kingship, calls together his court to watch as he divides his kingdom between his three daughters. Within a hundred lines, he has angrily disowned his youngest daughter, disclaiming all paternal care and declaring her a stranger to his heart because her dishonesty has displeased him. He instead divides his kingdom between his two remaining daughters, Goneril and Regan, whose dishonesty pleases him, with only this stipulation, that they take turns entertaining him and one hundred of his knights at monthly intervals. They accept. But a hundred knights is a lot of knights, especially when they have nothing to do but carouse around. So despite agreeing to their father's stipulation, his daughters begin undoing it as soon as they can. Lear goes to the castle of Goneril first, who informs him that she will have only fifty of his knights, and the other fifty will have to be gone in a fortnight. In a rage that's as much hurt as anger, Lear departs with his hundred knights for the castle of his other daughter, Regan. Goneril sends a message ahead of him to let Regan know what she's done and encourage her to do the same. Upon receiving her sister's message, Regan leaves her castle and travels to a third. Lear, finding her gone, follows her there. The two are soon joined by Goneril, and so we have the three, Lear and his two elder daughters, the daughters joining hands in confrontation with their father. Regan declares that she will not have his hundred knights either, or even fifty. As Lear turns from one to the other, they continue to reduce the number they'll accept, asking him what he needs so many knights for anyway, as they have more than enough servants to serve him. Lear responds with anger, but we can also sense his tremendous sense of belittlement and hurt. When he interrupts to say, I gave you all, he speaks in exasperation and argument, but also in helplessness. When the daughters finally come to demand why he needs any knights at all, Lear finally replies at length, demanding that they not talk of need 
reduce human need to the minimums of food and drink and shelter, then our lives lose all dignity and become cheap as the lives of beasts. His daughters don't need the gorgeous clothes they wear to keep warm. In fact, they hardly serve for that, but for their human dignity. But his daughters are unyielding. In truth, they feel no love for their father, despite their extravagant claims earlier, but have instead only self-interest, however cruel. Life is spiraling down to the animal. Let's listen. Regan speaks first. Having invoked her father's wrath by telling him she will not yet take him, Regan calmly tells him to act his age, that is, accept that he's a helpless old man. From King Lear, Act 2, Scene 4. Regan. I pray you, father, being weak, seem so. If, till the expiration of your month, you'll return and sojourn with my sister, dismissing half your train, come then to me. I am now from home and out of that provision which shall be needful for your entertainment. Lear. Return to her, and fifty men dismissed? No! Rather, I abjure all roofs, and choose to wage against the enmity of the air, to be a comrade with the wolf and owl, necessity's sharp pinch. Return with her? Persuade me rather to be slave and sumpter to this detested servant. He indicates Oswald. Goneril. At your choice, sir. Lear. I prithee, daughter, do not make me mad. I will not trouble thee, my child. Farewell. We'll no more meet, no more see one another. But yet thou art my flesh, my blood, my daughter, or, rather, a disease that's in my flesh, which I must needs call mine. Thou art a boil, a plague sore, or embossed carbuncle in my corrupted blood. But I'll not chide thee. Let shame come when it will. I do not call it. I do not bid the thunder-bearer shoot, nor tell tales of thee to high-judging Jove. Mend when thou canst. Be better at thy leisure. I can be patient. I can stay with Regan, I and my hundred knights. Regan. Not altogether so. I looked not for you yet, nor am provided for your fit welcome. Give ear, sir, to my sister. For those that mingle reason with your passion must be content to think you old, and so... But she knows what she does. Lear. Is this well spoken? Regan. I dare avouch it, sir. What, fifty followers? Is it not well? What should you need of more? Yea, or so many, sith that both charge and danger speak gainst so great a number. How in one house should many people under two commands hold amity? Tis hard, almost impossible. Goneril. Why might you not, my lord, receive attendance from those she calls servants, or from mine? Regan. Why not, my lord? If then they chance to slack you, we could control them. If you will come to me, for now I spy a danger, 
I entreat you to bring but five and twenty. To no more will I give place or notice. Lear. I gave you all. Regan. And in good time you gave it. Lear. Made you my guardians, my depositaries, but kept the reservation to be followed with such a number. What, must I come to you with five and twenty? Say you so? Regan. And speak it again, my lord, no more with me. Lear. Those wicked creatures yet do look well favored when others are more wicked, not being the worst stands in some rank of praise. To Goneril. I'll go with thee, thy fifty yet doth double five and twenty, and thou art twice her love. Goneril. Hear me, my lord. What need you five and twenty, ten, or five, to follow in a house where twice so many have a command to tend you? Regan. What need one? Lear. Oh, reason not the need. Our basest beggars are in the poorest things superfluous. Allow not nature more than nature needs. Man's life is cheap as beasts. Thou art a lady. If only to go warm were gorgeous, why, nature needs not what thou gorgeous wearest, which scarcely keeps thee warm. But for true need, you heavens, give me that patience, patience I need. You see me here, you gods, a poor old man as full of grief as age, wretched in both. If it be you that stirs these daughters' hearts against their father, fool me not so much to bear it tamely. Touch me with noble anger, and let not women's weapons, water drops, stain my man's cheeks. No, you unnatural hags, I will have such revenges on you both that all the world shall. I will do such things. What they are, yet I know not but they shall be the terrors of the earth. You think I'll weep? No, I'll not weep. I have full cause of weeping, but this heart shall break into a hundred thousand flaws, or ere I'll weep. O oh, fool, I shall go mad. Storm and Tempest, Lear, Kent, and Fool, Exit. Individual directors, in collaboration with their actors, make many decisions about how the words and actions of Shakespeare's plays are to be presented. When Lear declares at the end of his speech that he'll not weep, that should settle it. The actor playing Lear doesn't weep. If I were directing Lear, though, I would have Lear weep even as he declares he won't weep. Aristotle tells us that tragedy evokes terror and pity simultaneously, and we must feel both here. Lear is a terrible old man, and his curses on his two eldest daughters in this scene are terrible, but he's also a pitiful figure. I will have such revenges on you both, he declares vehemently, that all the world shall. But then he stops. I will do such things, but then he stops again. What can he do? He is helpless. He has given all away. 
what they are, he continues in frustration, yet I know not, but they shall be the terrors of the earth. But no, they won't. He's nothing but a poor old man with no home and only two friends to follow him out into the storm. There are terrors to come, but not done by him. But why should we sympathize with Lear? I'm pretty sure that none of you listening to this podcast has a posse of a hundred knights to hang out with, or even fifty, or twenty-five. What makes this old man so special? Awful as they are as human beings, aren't Lear's daughters right? Interestingly, though King Lear evokes many responses, it never evokes this one. None of my students have ever felt moved to ask this question, for they understand what's at stake here, Lear's human dignity. We need more than we need. In another course, I taught the slave laws of Alabama. Among them was a law that no slave could own a dog. Well, for God's sake, why not? There is some dignity in owning a dog, a creature to love and take care of and return your affection. Does a man or woman need a dog? Well, no. I don't have one and I get by all right. But that's not the question. The dignity of each of us requires that we have things we don't need. Human greed and selfishness and materialism no doubt lead human beings to have too much, and we can all point to others of whom that's true. But let's start with those who have more power in the world than us, not with those who have less, or at most have really little more than us. Until next time, I'm Dr. J.